Right, hello, welcome to a, a very special episode of the Big Football Podcast. Uh, hosting as always, my name's Dan, and I'm joined this evening by Calm. Hello. And a very special guest this evening, um, a friend of mine and the BBC's very own Tom Rostens, he of uh, Live Text fame. Tom, how are you doing? All good, thanks, Dan. Yeah, Duff. Yeah, not not too bad, although um, the way the Liverpool game is going at Magityland at the moment, my mood might change. <laughs> I uh, thought when when this is released on Friday, that won't be relevant probably. Um, mm-hmm. Tom, it's it's been a while since we've caught up. Um, me and you were in the same classes together at the University of Central Lancashire. Um, you are unashamedly a Northampton Town fan, and um, you, you don't hide that from anybody. You still get the um, the usual Twitter crackpots accusing. You have this, that, and the other, and not liking this uh-huh. team and not liking that team. <laughs> we'll come to them a little yeah. bit later on. But um, how how often do you get to a Northampton Town game these days? Because you live in Salford, or, or sorry, you, you live in the northwest for the Salford office. Yeah, um, I normally sort of try and get to about ten games a season if I can. Um, as you say, I live in the northwest, so normally quite lucky. We, we sort of yo-yo between League One and League Two, and there's there's always plenty of teams. Um, but obviously, I've not been to a game yet this season. And annoyingly, I live I live near Crewe now. I live in Sandbutch, and uh, we're playing at Crewe this weekend. So I'd, I had the weekend booked off in hope that away fans might be in by now. But uh, so I'll be able to follow us on the radio or whatever from about five miles away this weekend. But yeah, normally. Try and get to all the away games in the northwest, basically, and then get to a couple of home games a season. It's. Uh, I mean, I I went. I drove down to Northampton um, about this time last year, actually, and the amount of road works in the uh, in the area was spectacular. <laughs> um, yeah. So, Tom, I I can kind of like chart your journey to to the BBC because obviously I I know you. Um, for for our viewers who might not know know your route, like when when you graduated from um, the University of Central Lancashire with a a, a BA in journalism, like myself, um, where, where did did life take you? If I remember rightly, it would have taken you straight to the Press Association in Hull. Yeah, so in our last year, um, we obviously did quite a few placements, didn't we? Um, as most journalism students do, I didn't actually do one at PA, but. Um, quite a few of our sort of mutual friends did. And at the time, uh, PA were doing a trainee scheme, which was like a two-year uh, a job, two-year job, but it, they would move you around all of the relevant departments. It was really good. And I think, I'm right in saying they've just sort of started it up again. It wasn't around for a few years. Um, so we graduated in the sort of, in the summer. And then I went, moved back home for a bit and just got a, sort of normal normal job if you like just to pay the bills and then a few of my a few people we were at uni with had gone straight to that trainee scheme I didn't do that but I was kind of keeping in touch with them and they said after Christmas they're going to be taking some more people on and uh, so I went up there for an interview and started in the sort of January which would have been 2006 which is a scary thought be 15 years in a few weeks, so I started. Yeah, yeah, 2006. I went to there. I'm that old that uh, I've worked on Teletext and CFAX, which have both died a death. 
Yeah, CFAX. <laughs> whenever you, I hear CFAX, I kind of get this um, this pain pain in my heart because it's something. <laughs> yeah. It was my my go to for not just um, sports news but all news. Um, yeah. One one hundred <laughs> was was where yeah. I kind of got my my nine eleven news from at the time. That's that's the the most famous example <laughs> that I can think of. But it, it was. Yeah. Um, Some of your younger listeners might have to go and Google what CFAX was. But, yes. Um, I've, I can, yes. Yeah, I can say I've worked on both platforms and been there when they both got turned off. I think so. Uh, keep me away from your media platform. <laughs> I think. I think was it was three one two the gossip page. Three one two was gossip. Yeah, and three two three was like briefs. I think and it was like you know you get a little line on each of your teams, and then three ninety was uh, local. So you'd have been all right following the book because they'd have always been 301. Or, but when you wanted to get some cobbler's news, you'd go 390. And we'd be down there with sort of Cambridge and Barnet and stuff like that. <laughs> if, if I have it in my head right, I think Rugby League was 370, which is... Yeah, I think that's right. <clears throat> Cricket was 340. Yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so um, that was I, was... I was doing that when I first went to BBC. That was still a thing. And then it gradually got... It was still like manually updated when I started, and then it got, then it went totally automated, and then it's, then it got, well, you can still get red button, but it's, I think about five people use it. <laughs> Can I've, I've talked for a while. Have, have you got anything that you want to come in on so far? I'm sure you've got happier memories than me of CFAX because mine was normally Saturday afternoon, Liverpool nil, Wimbledon one, Liverpool one, Coventry City two. <laughs> Ah yes, the good old the good old days of the nineties when uh, Liverpool were still uh, off off the perch. But um, no, I'm I'm very impressed with your uh, both your memories of of the CFAX numbers. I mean, I you know <laughs> uh, from, from you know similar uh, or, or possibly same sort of age age group. Um, yeah, I used to use it all the time as well. So I'm quite impressed. I didn't know that you used to work on that as well. So that's a good effort. Um, what 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 year did it get? Was it was it terminated then? Well, how long was it around yeah. till? I'm gonna guess about 2014 or something like that. 13, was that recent? Yeah, I think it might it might have been after the Olympics actually, but it was definitely. Um... Yeah, I mean to be fair, it's a good effort. It made it that long because uh, yeah. yeah, can't imagine the you know numbers of people using it must have been like single figures by that point. Well, um, when, when I was at PA and that was on Teletext, which was ITV, but PA had the contract and it was um, you had to sort of manually overtype all the headlines if you can imagine and you'd like have to change the colors of each bit so it would be like the page number would be in like yellow and then you'd have to change it to white for the headline and then blue for like the next bit and you had to do it all by hand it took ages it's like when I mean, it wasn't in microsoft paint but it was basically the same sort of thing wow. <laughs> and then you'd, that's why uh, and all the all the headlines that obviously fit um and they all had to be a certain I think it was 35 characters long. Mm. Uh, so when you got, that's why everything was always woe or joy. Because <laughs> so everything was always like, you know, uh, Anfield woe. <laughs> or, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and there was plenty of that in the CFAX era. <laughs> yeah. Century joy for Atherton. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, did the word review ever get used on CFAX, I wonder? I don't know. Was, we were talking about this the other day because we don't, obviously don't have CFAX anymore, but believe it or not, there's still 
sort of the some of the back end of the BBC website is quite antiquated and there is a character limit on some of the headlines and someone was doing like Borussia Mönchengladbach be somebody and it's just like takes a full year that would have been a nightmare on C- I don't know what they would have been on CFAX just BMG maybe or yeah. <laughs> at least VAR would have been at home yeah <laughs> <laughs> I can think of a, of a better home for VAR camp. It's called wow. in, in, in the bin. Um, certainly in, in that situation, Tom, you don't want um, Alani of Vladikav Kaz against Borussia Mönchengladbach. No, I think I remember doing Jan Venegor of Hesselink scored once for Hull or whoever he was he was playing for, and that was that took up like the whole first line of C <laughs> That could have just been the match report if it was one nil. Jan Venegor yeah. of Hesselink. Um, so these these are lovely, lovely CFAX memories. It's really put a, a proper smile on my face. Um, if we just flip back to our our degree, Tom, because you know uh, mm. it's it's a very popular kind of thing. I want to be a sports journalist. Yeah. Um, now my advice to people is always don't pigeonhole yourself to just sports journalism. Train to be a journalist. Get out there, meet people make contacts you know, you know like yeah. it's that w- would you agree with me that people should look to diversify not go for sports journalism but go for journalism learn to to do the the not door knocking because that's not the way journalism works mm-hmm. anymore but that kind of approach the whole like city council meetings as well as yeah i think and especially if you are going to do sport don't just Pigeon yourself to football, which is what some people some people do. And as you know, everybody wants to do football. So if you if you are going to go into sport, it's good to have a you know another string to your bow. So I I'm 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 into my motorbike sport, which is pretty rare, and that's helped me get jobs in the past or you know freelancing stuff because there's only a few people who who want to cover that and rugby league's not as niche as that, but you'll you'll probably be similar that, you know, there's there's not that many people covering that compared to other sports. But you're right in the general scheme of things. I mean all the kind of skills are the same to a large degree, aren't they? And um if you can keep yourself as as broad as you can, certainly when you're starting and then once you're in you can maybe um specialise. And a lot of places I mean it's difficult to talk about because it changes so quick you know a lot of when we started we were still getting a job on your local paper was still like the the best thing you could try and do really and sadly that that avenue is obviously closed for lots of people now um but i guess on the flip side there's so much self-published stuff you can do with with podcasts and youtube and blogs and things that it is totally different totally different landscape for want of a better word yeah, getting into local news was where you was expected to start, kind of to get your foot up on that ladder. But yeah. I, and I know that times are, are not easy for for like for like local newspapers. When when you're offering someone three hundred quid and a copy of Girly World a month, yeah, for the, for for the services, you know, it's not it's not an attractive proposition. I mean, a, a part of me, and we'll we'll get to it later. That I always wanted to work for the BBC, but you know, a big part of me was like, well. I'll try and get a job at the Saint Helen Star, and mm. before you know it, I can, I can get a job working for the, uh, the tax office in Liverpool for uh, it was something along the lines of eighteen thousand pounds, and yeah, that's more, well, I, and then I, then some. I, I started on thirteen grand at PA, and 
the I mean that is fifteen years ago, but I don't you know, I don't think starting salaries have gone up a, a lot in in what is left of the local media. And it's you know, some of it some of the things that they some of the job adverts you look at are, are pretty scandalous really. Um football clubs are, are just as bad. Uh, and generalising there, but some of the football clubs you'll see advertise and they want someone who can, you know, write the programme, film all the post-match interviews, edit stuff, do Instagram, uh, you know, edit the highlights, make the tea, and it's like <laughs> 12 grand a year or something. It's, <laughs> uh, it's scandalous, really. But, yeah, um, I, I guess they sort of trade on the, you know, people wanting to do it because yeah. it's the club, you know, people, lifelong fans and stuff, they know they've yeah, got yeah, a lot of an audience. Yeah, there's a lot of fans who get stuck in that. Well, not stuck, it's not the right word, but a lot of fans get sort of hooked into working for their local club and end up doing it for years. But um, yeah, it's not it's not as glamorous as people think. Tom, if we we switch to your time at, at PA, then at the, the press association, if people aren't familiar with that, um, yeah. c- can you kind of give us an insight into the, the the normal kind of day for you? Was it a case of you are um, taking so you're put on a certain thing like local news or would you be yeah so press release get it written please or yeah so like i said i started on that trainee scheme and you you spent sort of time in each different department so there was teletext was one um one was called international desk where you'd be sort of all writing up like baseball and stuff like that a lot of american sport um there's the main wire which is like the equivalent of like the sort of national news desk at a paper, if you like. So that'd be all Premier League stuff, really, and cricket and stuff like that. And then there was a department um, that just dealt with uh, football league stuff, and that's that's where I ended up getting a, a permanent position. Um, so how it worked there was each reporter we'd have like a patch basically. So <clears throat> I can't remember how many off the top of my head, but I think I had about sort of nine or ten clubs that um, were my responsibility and everyone had the same from, and there'd be like two or three in the championship, some in league one, some in league two. And we'd basically have to write a certain amount of stories a week for each team, uh, which would involve, you know, match reports, team news, injuries, that sort of thing. And then again, it was, when I say things have changed, it was still quite old school in regard that when I started, you, you just have all the managers phone numbers and you just be able to ring them up. So you just ring Neil Warnock or whatever and he'd answer his phone and you just get him on a Wednesday morning. But now it's a lot more, you got to go through a lot of hoops to speak to people. Um, so yeah, it's changed a lot, but that was good. That was my job. I had nine or 10 clubs and then I'd try and get to a couple of games a week if I could on a, one midweek and on a Saturday. Um, so for a few years, I was probably going to, 70 odd matches a season at, at some point um so doing plenty of miles and seeing lots of games which is is kind of the dream isn't it you, when mm. when you you're um you wanting to to get into the industry that's the kind of yeah of, it's a good, of job you have in mind it's a great start a great place to start out and like i said the money was not great and there's a lot of late nights and traveling around but you you certainly learn how to how to write quickly and you know, last-minute goals and all that sort of stuff. It's probably the best best place you can be, really. So, Tom, when you left Pierre to the BBC, how did that opportunity come along? 
Well, it was quite, um, it was a long-winded process. Basically, um, I'd got to know a few people who worked at the BBC. Um, and so the BBC Sport moved from London to Salford, for people who don't know. Uh, it's just over the water from Old Trafford football ground. Um, and it's all, it's like a brand new, well, it's it'll be 10 years next year, 2011, they moved in there. Um so obviously that was a big decision and a lot a lot of staff didn't move north. They wanted to stay in London or down south. <clears throat> um, so like I say, this has rumbling on for a few years, probably about two years or, or so since it was announced. So basically, as soon as it got announced, uh, as you said, I've been to uni at Preston, had a lot of friends up Manchester way. And as you said yourself, you know, you kind of wanted to work for the BBC. It's seen as a, you know, really good place to work and, a safe place in the industry um so i sort of was trying to get in for a couple of years but it was as of anything within the bbc it's quite a long-winded process so you had to sort of register your interest and then they said yeah fine you have to do like a few tests and things from what i remember and then it was kind of don't hear anything for nine months at a time and just kept saying yeah when we move to Salford, there'll be jobs. Just keep sort of in, keep keep across it, and then so I had like two years maybe of not really hearing anything really, and then all of a sudden it was like, like right, there's going to be jobs starting in May. Um, come for an interview, and then so I'd had sort of two two years or so thinking I'd like to get a job, but also thinking it's probably quite unlikely, and then. All of a sudden, there was a gear change and had an interview, and then it was like, "Can you start on the, you know, six weeks time or whatever?" So I had to relocate. Um, but it was exciting times, and yeah, it's, I'll, be, I'll be there ten years in. I think it was May, May or June. <clears throat> and that's a cross-country relocation as well from you from from Hull. Yeah, well, I was down in Northampton at the time, so I'd, like you say, I was worked in Hull for a few years, and then I moved back down to Northampton, which is where I grew up. And I, at that time, I was covering like teams around there, like Watford, Reading, <laughs> um, Peterborough, Northampton, Cambridge, that sort of area. So it was a, but yeah, it was a move up the country to the lights of Salford. <laughs> <laughs> um, again, I've been talking for a while. Khan, have you got any any questions so far? Well, one of the things I was I was I was going to ask, um, and actually now's a good time that you've mentioned around, you know, some of the the teams you were covering and stuff. Have you? I know obviously you you have your own team that you do support, mm. and I don't and I don't mean this to be a load question, but were there any sort of t- teams or towns or whatever that you got a bit of you know sort of affection for just because it was a a good stadium or always a good atmosphere or just things like that, or do you even yeah. notice that stuff when you're there <laughs> when you're actually just job? Do you, do, you, do you have time to sort of take that in or is it literally just I'm here to do this and I'm leaving kind of thing? Yeah, you definitely do. Like there's there's definitely things that endear endear you to a team or or things you don't like. And sometimes it's, you know, things that have nothing to do with the club. It might be like traffic or you know, <laughs> some, as you'll know as a fan, some grounds are just freezing, aren't they? Always, no matter what the weather. The Reebok. Can, yeah. yeah, the Reebok Stoke, uh, Oldham. The Britannia, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Sometimes it's like what the food's like, uh, but yeah, no, you can. Like I, I, I used to have Norwich and Ipswich on my patch, even though they were still about three hours away because nowhere's near to Norwich. But um, the first, 
I think the first few years I had them, I only had one of them at a time because they were never in the same uh, division. But then when I did my first uh, East Anglian derby and everyone you know, in that area, obviously it's a big deal. But that is one of the best outfields I've ever been to because I, it did take me by surprise because I thought, you know, they're both what you just sort of, you know, without being condescending, you think of them as quite like family friendly clubs or whatever. Mm. Nice. Yeah. But it was, that was unbelievable. That yeah, was no, that's a good that was, yeah. They, don't, they don't really get talked about as being, yeah, the more sort of, you know, you think about like Southampton and Portsmouth are known for really hating each other and things yeah. like that. You don't really think about that with the, uh, the East Anglia clubs. <laughs> no, it's definitely uh, one of those that took you by surprise and you're not really expecting it. It was, it was brilliant that. Um, yeah, there's lots of, uh, all the clubs I've covered, you kind of, I think, you know, if if you did get a job on a local paper back in our day, lots of people go on and then you always sort of follow that team because you're so closely involved with it. And it's hard not to, even if you don't get on, you know, people who cover those teams, they always say, if you've not been banned by the club at some point, you know, you're not really doing your job properly. <laughs> so you're, always, you're always falling out with someone to a degree, but um yeah, you definitely keep an eye on, on teams. And sometimes, it, like I say, sometimes it'll just be certain stadiums that you really like going to. Um, and, it, I, you know, it's probably a sign of our age again, but I'm all, I always tend to prefer the older stadiums for atmosphere. But then some of the new grounds are much better to be a journalist at, just for, you know, simple, even things like having enough plugs and being under, you know, being able to see some of the grounds like if you go to if you do a game at Luton oh, I really like Kenilworth Road it's brilliant especially as an away fan I don't know if you've ever been but you sort of go in through the back of someone's house it's proper old school <laughs> um, great ground and it would be a shame when they move but to be a working journalist is a nightmare there because it's all like loads of pillars you can't see one whole of one goal area you know if you, one goal mouth if you sit in the wrong place there's like one plug between about five of you there's no Wi-Fi or anything all these things that you moan about as a journalist but so sometimes the sometimes your favorite stadiums as a fan and as a journalist are completely different and that, uh, just just for, as, as a personal question tom like um having been in the press box at anfield myself mm. uh, that that was a little bit antiquated um have you been in the new main stand i have yeah and it's uh I've I've been in the main stand since I've done it up here and it's a lot is a lot better yeah um yeah really good but before yeah it was like it's one of them where if one person wants to get out to the toilet it's like everyone's going to get up and then <laughs> pile out is like <laughs> old fashioned like that and the 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 notes get scrambled everywhere <laughs> yeah. yeah not ideal uh, yeah I I I covered um, Stephen Gerrard's testimonial um. And I was in the press. I was I was doing it for a Liverpool uh, like mm. website, and uh, this was before the main standard had kind of changed. So yeah, it was the the old one. So it was I was kind of in my element, you know, this this old school kind of of, of press area. And I'd like yeah. to see, I'd like to see what the new one is. Not in a museum, kind of, you know, in a, a stadium tour kind of surrounding. Yeah, it's much better. It's much you know more up to date. And but the problem with that is is you lose a. You know, you, you, like you use a bit of character, don't you? So you, you could be anywhere, really. The press, press facilities are the same as any sort of Premier League ground, really. But it is nice. Yeah. For, for for all your uh, Merseyside um, old school experiences, you can always go to Goodison. 
Yeah. Um, which, uh, whilst uh, I was reading before, um, uh, some Everton fans were uh, a little bit upset because the, the they've got 2,000 tickets for their socially distanced home game against Chelsea, I believe, on uh, on Saturday, and they still managed to have um, restrictive view seats, which is, <laughs> I, I can't help but laugh. You know, Goodison is a ground of, of character. You know, I, I like old school grounds, and, yeah. and Goodison is undoubtedly that. But that that did make me chuckle that these um, theatre of beams still manages to produce. Well, that's it. Like it will be a real shame when they leave Goodison. But I went a few years ago in the away end with um, a friend of mine. Uh, I'd never been. I'd been to the Goodison a few times, but normally working or I, I sat in the main stand as like a neutral before. But as I'd never been in the away end, and it's it was so bad. <laughs> uh, it's like worse than. Worse than any ground in League Two these days, you know, in terms of a view and I couldn't see anything. I could see about thirty yards of the pitch from where I was sitting. Um, but so I, obviously they have to move, don't they? It's move or re- redevelop it, but they're moving. But um, so part of me will be think it's a real shame when they move, but equally, it's it's not fit for purpose now. No, and it, it hasn't been for some time. And mm. whilst we we all like to to rib Everton on the stadium move, it, it's it, it they are trying their best, but it's it's a very difficult and even more so now with with COVID, it's it's a yeah. difficult environment to try and get a new stadium built. Um, switching away from Everton, which I'm always glad to do, Tom. Um, what would you say your fa- you've you've just mentioned you know, like you you've been to an East Anglian derby and it was mm-hmm. a bit fiery and a bit fun for for you as a, a neutral. Um, what is the is that kind of the nadir or have you been to other more um, fiery experiences? Um, I've been to bigger games than that, but that was up there with the the best atmospheres. West Brom Wolves was a good one as well. I've done that a few of that. I've done that a few times. That's a really good atmosphere. Um, Premier League-wise, yeah, as you'll know as a fan, it's quite... I think because you get more away fans in the Football League as a rule, tends to get a better atmosphere, I think. Um, it's hard in the Premier League, isn't it? Because you only get two or 3,000 tickets normally in the away end. And the best will in the world, it's hard to get... I think you need more to get a proper fiery atmosphere going. Um, a few champ- I've done a few Champions League games, not too many, but... Um, Again, similar sort of thing there. You sometimes you're surprised. Like I, I went to Liverpool v PSG a few years ago, and I don't really know why I had this. But you have like a preconception sometimes, and I thought I think it's because they're quite a new club, aren't they? PSG. I thought they would be quite uh, like I don't know, sedate is the word. But I thought they'd be you know quite sort of friendly or whatever quite quiet but it was they're actually really loud all the yeah, way through they, they were yeah, I, I remember really I remember that game because mm. Roberto Firmino scored didn't in I think it was the 18th yeah, minute right. yeah yeah um and PSG had come back from 2-0 down as well haven't they um yeah their fans I, were excellent really good yeah I, I do enjoy European just just for 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 European fans there's only one team I don't want to say and that's PSV and that is nothing against PSV fans at all it's just that we kept on drawing them and drawing them, <laughs> and drawing them to the extent where I think we played them in like the the last sixteen in the Champions League. I think we played them three out of four seasons. Probably yeah. fed, fed up of the sight of them as Arsenal were a Bayern. Yeah. Um, 
I mean, don't get me wrong, obviously, with, with all the best will in the world to PSV, it was always a good draw for us because there's, there's worse teams we could have got in terms of yeah. progression. Um, um, so, so, sorry, go on, Cam. I was just going to ask quickly, as, as we're talking about the Champions League and so on, have, have you ever sort of taken your... Is your job ever sort of taking you abroad for tournaments or, or Champions League nights and things like that away from uh, away from England? Uh, not with what have I done? Not with football, no, because it, it's so um, sort of people higher up the pecking order than me. I, I went to the Super Bowl this year, which was amazing. Um, nice. Yeah, glad I got that ticked off because I don't think I'll be going this year. No, <laughs> you quite right. Yeah, I was I was going to I was meant to be doing the Euros this year, but I was doing. I was going to do every game from Wembley, so I wouldn't have been abroad, but still would have been good. Um, but yeah, no, I, I tend to be based in the office for most of the tournaments because we do most of the live texts from from there. Yeah. Um, so no, I've not I've not been abroad with any. I did the Olympics in London again, so um, I think because obviously if you, if you imagine when they're in Rio or Tokyo or whatever, we we do send people, but it's two or three people not I think in London there was like loads of us there 20 odd or whatever yeah that makes sense I suppose that's <laughs> the thing with the technology advancing it means it's harder yeah. to justify the travel it um, is and, and sometimes unfortunately it, some things are easier to do from the office because you you're more connected to people and mm-hmm. you, you can get all the interviews and everything straight through uh, so we always try and have someone there but most people will be easier from oh, we're all doing it from home now, which is even weirder. But um, yeah, most people tend to be in the office. Yeah, fair enough. I I was going to ask, and I don't know, Dan, if actually were you going to sort of move the agenda on? No, um, no, no. There is there is no real agenda. It's just asking <laughs> ask Tom questions. Yeah, sure. Um, try and remember what it was. <laughs> um, cool. Uh, so, so Tom, what, one thing I wanted to to ask you was around um, doing the, the the live text updates, um, and uh, how does that work in terms of you know the amount of information that must be kind of fed through, and how you decide to then sort of what what goes into the uh, you know the actual the web the web updates, and and how does that work sort of in an office environment, but then what what's had to have to adapt uh, while you've been uh, sort of working remotely? Yeah, sure. So. Traditionally, if you like, we would be all in the office on a Saturday afternoon. There could be up to 10, 12, 15 people, depending on how many matches there are. Um, <clears throat> and we'd split the programme. So we normally have what each each one of us keeping an eye on three matches maximum each, which is really busy, but you can just about keep across three any more than that. And it's it's impossible, really. Um so we would split split the matches and, and do the updates on those. But so there's always someone else watching your game because they're tending to do the match report on it, unless there's somebody at the ground. Um, so you just got basically three TVs that you can see um, and try and uh, keep across it as best as you can. But obviously with COVID, it's changed a lot, and there's only ever really one match on at a time now, um, except for Champions League nights, really. So that's changed, and we're, we're largely doing them from all from home, uh, which has been really different because for years we we were told uh, it's impossible. We can't we can't work from anywhere else other than the office. It's not technically possible. And within about three days of lockdown, <laughs> they were like, oh yeah, yeah, it's fine. 
<laughs> I have that <laughs> as well, funnily enough. <laughs> yeah, what we, what I think a, lot, is... a lot of people have learned things about what's possible. <laughs> yeah, that's probably one of the few good things to maybe come out of it. But... Yeah. So for um, so obviously uh, things that the BBC have got rights for, which is not too much these days, but Premier League because we've got match of the day, we're rights holders. So the BBC gets like physically of all the matches. So on a three o'clock on a Saturday, you still, you can watch every match, um, every game. And how it's worked is we've basically got a way of getting those feeds at home on through the computer. So it's a bit like, it's not Skype. It's a similar sort of, sort of program and you can, get any match through there so that's how we're doing it from home and then stuff like champions league where we haven't got any rights we just have to watch it on bt like everybody else unless we're, <laughs> unless we're out of the game so yeah it's a bit bit different but it's it's held up remarkably well you get a few you know your internet might drop out or whatever for 30 seconds which can be stressful but um yeah it's been a lot a lot better than we thought but i don't think the average sort of reader will probably notice too much difference, to be honest. That's the, the hope. Yeah, I mean, I, I use them myself if there's, uh, you know, like say if there's multiple games on and you're watching one and you want to yeah. see what's, you know, just sort of on, on your phone, keep an eye out for any incidents in in other games. And yeah, can't can't say as I've, uh, you know, <laughs> bit of bit of feedback for you, but can't say as I've noticed any difference. So, uh, no, not really. And, but... and, is, and is everyone working? Because I know obviously some some places, you know, offices are still open and people mm. have managed to work social distancing. But is, is everyone sort of, is it all being fully remotely then at the moment? Or, or through this uh, year? It's probably 80% remote. Um, I'm, I'm in the office tomorrow, actually. Um, I'm sort of intending to do about one day every two weeks or so in the office um most and all the other shifts from home so and it's quite nice actually because it gives you a chance to, to catch up with a few people and change the scenery um but the whole office is uh we're on a different floor to where we used to be and everything it's all and it's all a one-way system it's it's completely different to what it was like before and there's like if I, so tomorrow i'll be in there at you know, doing Europa League games at 10 o'clock in the evening, there'll probably be 10 people in the whole building that time, whereas it used to be, you know, hundreds. So it's yeah. very odd. There's more There's more security staff and cleaners than anyone else in there now. It's, uh, you never, it's never been cleaner. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very similar situation in, in, in my office. Um, it's um, it's very straight. I mean, I, I'm completely remote. I'm, I'm completely mm-hmm. remote Till, till June next year as well. Um, I, I've kind of taken to to working from from home quite well, but um, my internet does go down. And if if I'm watching a a Premier League game and the nation's watching the live text of it, I would be getting quite stressed myself. Yeah, I had a power cut quite early on when we were working from home, and while I was doing a game, and uh, luckily I was still getting the internet through. Um, like you know, like a mobile hotspot thing. Yeah. Uh, so it, it never went. Someone's going to have to uh, jump in here. But on about eighty minutes, it, it kicked back in. Power came back on, so we were fine. <laughs> um, Tom, the the next question I had in mind about about the live text as well. I, I because because I know you, I, I can read what you've written, 
and I'll just be drawn to certain words. Like I'll use, like, for, as an example, textbook. Uh, <laughs> that's a word I associate with you, with our <laughs> Uclan days, with with Polson Street. You know, like when, when, yeah. you mentioned, when you mentioned you're watching three games on three TVs, I was like, well, that's just like being in Polton Street, mm. um, with with the the, the, <laughs> the the Champions League scattered around the uh, the, yeah. front, the front room. Um, in in the days of, I think ITV Digital might have gone by then. I can't remember who had the rights <laughs> when was at uni, but it was that that kind of scenario. Um, is there kind of um, a handbook about how live text is to be approached, or, or or is it kind of you're free to put your own personality on it and your own stamp? Because like as I said, I can tell it's you just through reading yeah. what you've what you've you've put. Yeah, it's interesting that you say that because. Um when we sort of try and train new people up or whatever, we always say um, don't try and sort of copy anyone else's style because as you kind of hit on there, everyone's got their own voice and it's not, um, it's not intentional or anything, but you're right. When I first started doing it, people like my friends would say, I can tell when you're doing it. Um, And I used to think that's nonsense, but now, you know, I, I can tell who, who was doing it when I, if I look at it without seeing the bile on it, just cause like you say, you can pick up on phrases and tone, tone of voice and stuff. Um, so yeah, it is, you can have a, you can have a lot, it's, it, it, you can have a lot more personality in a live page than you can in anything else that you write a story or a match report or a feature even, which is one of the, the best things about doing it. It's good fun. Um, so basically, yeah, there, there is a style guide, you know, like for certain things, but, in terms of how I write each one, you're pretty much free to to say what you like within reason. And, uh, Actually, on that point, I was I was going to ask around, yeah, sort of freedom to write. You know, with with it being uh, with, with particularly when working for the BBC, obviously, yeah. uh, that you know it's perhaps a bit more stringent than other publications as to what you can say and how you can say things and so on. Um, yeah. How how do you find navigating around those sort of guidelines and and you know, does that how how sort of prevalent is that in your in your thought process when you're when you're sort of typing away yeah it's like luckily uh we do football don't we and it's it's pretty trivial in the scheme of things like i uh i did some work with there's someone from bbc news came and spent a few like weeks with us last back end of last year um because they wanted to do their lives a bit more like we do and then they were like you know the, she was the woman who came to see me she's been in charge of like the the COVID live page every day, you know, and then, and then the U S election. So if you're doing that, I was saying to her, I, would, I wouldn't last five minutes doing that. I'd be sacked within a, a day. <laughs> you know, that, that is really, you'd have to really watch what you say. And if, you know, if you read those for obvious reasons, those pages are totally different tone to what we do. Um, but yeah, I think it, it's more around occasionally you'll have a serious incident, you know, like a, a bad injury or something going on off the pitch or something. And that's when you have to change gear a bit and just go down to um, really keep it in what you know is factual and everything. But the rest of the time, I'd, you know, I don't take it too seriously, but as Dan said before, that doesn't mean every, every one you do, you'll get fans tweeting you, uh, giving you loads of abuse for being anti there, this pro, this, um, I think it's lucky because I don't support a Premier League team. Maybe um, you know I don't get drawn into too much bias. But 
having said that, like I say, every single shift I do, someone will accuse me either way. So but what, what people don't realise is they are inherently biased, aren't they? So if you if you support Liverpool and you think something I've said is anti-Liverpool, then, you know, you are coming at it from a position of bias because you support Liverpool or Arsenal or Everton or Spurs. Um, so I think when you first start doing it, it did used to... It, you, you, I wouldn't say uh, upset you or anything, but at the first few shifts you did, you're like, "Oh, this is a bit." I need to watch what I'm saying. But now, after so long, I don't, I don't give it a second thought. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I've read some of the because um, you, you you often retweet them, Tom, which which always amuses me. You kind of um, <laughs> give your haters a platform, and only the best ones. Yes, of course, yeah, but <laughs> some of the. Um, I'll be playing some of the Looney Tunes that um, that, that get in touch with you. It, it's it's I mean it, that that social media for you it gives everyone yeah of, even when they are completely in, inherently wrong. Um, well, you you'll quite often get um, two or three in a row that will you know be accusing you of bias on both sides of the game. So then you think oh, I'm probably all right. Probably if... doing my job right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Some, someone yeah. comes in for a tie-breaking vote. yeah Um, Uh, i just i just try and you know say say it how i see it and as you you mentioned before var and stuff now it's it's pretty impossible to do a game these days without taking an opinion on a big decision one way or the other and uh i'm it's it's starting to swing back the other way now i think i'm usually in a live now i'll be saying oh that's a ridiculous penalty just play it on because i think that's my you know, that's my my gut instinct is normally that we didn't need to disallow that goal. Uh, but then some people will say, well, you know, it was clearly offside. Is the lines showed he was a centimetre offside, and some people are of the view, aren't they, that that's that's right. <laughs> so I'm normally on the uh, I'm normally on the anti VAR side of opinion myself. One of the questions I did have was how was VAR kind of have changed the job because you'll write something so you'll say goal yeah. Liverpool and then suddenly it's lol offside not that you would put lol but you, you get yeah. what I mean it's like oh no like we've we've, we've had this this Spanish inquisition about whether someone's little toe is offside or not and then suddenly you've got a complete rewrite you know, like, like, how long does it take you to kind of retract what you've written do you yeah, yeah. Are, are you like because you you wanting it to be as current as possible? You wanting to get it out there as quickly as possible? Is it just kind of like a rewrite of a of a late goal that's kind of like scuppered your match report, or is this a little bit different because it's live? Yeah, we had to have um, quite a lot of discussion about this. What what we were going to do, and I think it was it the World Cup that they used it first, wasn't it? I think it was. Yes, the two thousand and sixteen. Yeah. Sorry, uh, eighteen World 18. Cup. Yeah. So then that was the first time we'd sort of come across it, and we. We were discussing, you know, what's the best way? Um, do we do a goal flash and then take it out? Do we wait and see? But the whole, you know, the best word in the world, we'll, we'll type it as soon as it happens. But then you've still, just through the technology of getting it to your phone, or whatever, there's always a little bit of a delay. So the whole point of it is that it's live. If you wait around, then it, there's no point doing it at all. So we quickly decided... No, you can't. You can't wait and see what happens. You just got to describe it as if you was on the radio or whatever, basically. So then we discussed: do we 
change so say there's a goal and when we do a goal flash it's like a different color and a different like graphic and everything so we sort of discussed do we then change that and get rid of it and then we we ended up deciding and what we do is we just flash it as if it's a goal and then if it gets disallowed we'll you know reference that in a different post which i think is the best way because that's what happens in in reality um so it's not really changed too much other than you know a lot of confusion <laughs> for everyone but all we can do is just tell people what's happening as best we can which is the whole point of the live text anyway really it, well, um, it's it, it's actually I, I think it's really important that that's the way it works tom yeah. because quite often you know, I, because VAR is not tailored to the match-going fan, and and as you know, I, I go to to every game at Anfield. I, I I will be watching what's going on, and like there'll be a VAR check, and I'm like, well, what for? You know, like, and then I will depend on you to get what has happened. Yeah. Because I don't get that explanation at the ground, so uh, like. Um, I would agree with you that it's the best way to to get the information out there and then say, well, actually, that goal's been disallowed because someone, yeah. someone was allegedly offside. I mean, I, I used the word allegedly with the VAR because <laughs> we're, we're inventing penalties. That that one at Brighton on Monday night was just yeah. just ridiculous. Um, but it's like, you know, when it, when it came in for the World Cup and around then, I was actually in favour of the idea of it. And I guess I'm one of the people who are to blame, like people who had the same viewpoint as me. But I was thinking, uh, you know, it works well in in the NFL. It works well in cricket to a large degree. Rugby league, I don't know, you'd know better than me. It seems to work fairly well for like tries and things. And the, the concept of, you know, every decision being right I thought, yeah, that's going to be good. And then within about a week of it coming in, I was like, oh, this is awful. I think... <laughs> yeah, I'm a complete U-turn now. I hate it. The, I mean, <laughs> the, the problem you've got, and Cam's going to laugh here because I, I never waste an opportunity to, to have a pop at officials who aren't good enough. The ones that are good enough, fine. The ones who aren't good enough, I never waste an opportunity to have a go at them. I think the problem we've got with VR in, in, in this country is we have the same poor referees pressing buttons and that that to me is where where the problem lies. The technology mm. can work well. It worked well at, um, at Anfield on 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 Saturday, sorry Sunday. Now to me, in sat in the cop because I was lucky enough to get one of the, the two thousand tickets. The the Conacordi penalty. It looked like a clear penalty. I I thought yeah. Mane had just kicked him. However, couple of quick checks. He's not touched him. It's a dive. It should have been a yellow card, but wasn't given. But we'll, that, that's that's neither here nor there. Mm. So that's when it works well, and then the night after, you, you, we're literally inventing penalties at, at Brighton. Um, you know, it's it's so up and down. Um, I, it, interesting that you mentioned rugby league, where when it's a binary decision, yeah, it's generally okay. The problem rugby league has, again, apart from a pretty poor crop of officials, is that the referee sends his opinion upstairs. So he will say, "I think that's a try," right. yeah. and then you you, you, know, you you need to kind of like the, the the video referee will then spend a couple of minutes looking at it and say, "Well, I can't see anything clear and obvious to overturn that," and and that that's another sport that uses the the word clear and obvious. Yeah, the, the leading example, and you've already mentioned it, is 
when it's not in the hands of Shane Watson, cricket the cricket referral system works well. Yeah. Now Shane Watson will just sit there and, and review whatever <laughs> whatever he can because that's just how he is and, and I would never have changed that about all what or but with with cricket because you have umpires call it kind of if a decision goes against you you're like well it was close you know it was okay yeah. like I can understand why it was given I can understand why it wasn't given and if if we we had that kind of of of, of, of kind of way to try and get that into to football VAR maybe it could be a little bit oh, I can see why you've done that instead mm. of this outright that's completely wrong or outright well he's got that right well I think he's got it wrong you know, it just descends into farce every time when, when you get round to seeing it, the the Magitti land against Liverpool um, highlight reel of incompetence it's just incredible it's there was eight minutes injury time in that match eight minutes and I think I'm pretty sure that seven of them um were for for VAR checks because despite the fact Jurgen really wants five substitutions, he didn't. I, didn't, I don't think he used them all tonight, which is <laughs> <laughs> the irony's not lost on me. But I think it's it's kind of maybe we've brought in VAR, which works, but it's the laws of the game that need to change now, isn't it? Like well, the, the, like the handball, handball and offside yeah. are, are both terrible. Just <laughs> just so many goals disallowed for nothing now. It's just not. It's not right, is it? Well, that's it. If, if let's take the, I don't know if you saw the the uh, Leipzig game yesterday. Mm. You know, like the, the uh, Leipzig had a goal that was allowed, rightly so. He was he was off. He was two foot yeah. offside. Yeah. So again, that's good use of it. Now, if it was a close one and his armpit was offside, then you know, like, should we really be disallowing that one? I mean, we should yeah. we should be disallowing it because it's against Manchester United. But some of them, you see, it's just like. Before Viet, no one in their right mind would have ever said, wouldn't even have a suspicion that they're offside. You know, they're, they're the ones that the DA are doing, aren't they? I think, was there one, I'm not saying this because it was a, went in Liverpool's favour, but there was one, <laughs> Wolves scored at Anfield, do you remember that one? Was it the, the, where, net, the net or goal? He was like, it was like a throw-in on the right, and yeah. he, he was like a centimetre offside, and there was like five passes, and then someone scored. He just like, no one in... No one in their right mind would have ever said, "Oh, that was looked a bit offside." It's it didn't you know, look offside just, to me at the time. It's ridiculous that, it, especially when it, and there was a, a Sheffield United one at Tottenham, wasn't there? When fingertips, yeah, um, I can't yeah. remember who. I think it was John Fleck. I think it was John Fleck's fingertips yeah. were offside. And even, it, even when it's not even the player who scored the goal who gets called back for it is even worse. I think and it's like it's three passes before the goal, and it's just like. That's not what. That's not what it was for. Yeah. I, no, well, it was. It was supposed to be cl- clear and obvious, yeah. isn't it? But it's. It's like they've just gone to town with it, like a sort of yeah. kids in a sweet shop. Oh, we've got this. <laughs> got this new toy. We're going to play with it all the time. And you know, as you, and it, it is even just match going fans. You know, I think it's just become. You know, when I watch a game on TV. If you know, if my team score, it's like, well, I'll wait forty five yeah. seconds yeah. before I decide to get excited or celebrate or whatever. And it, you know, it does. It does ruin that, and I think that's why even people who advocated for it before, because the logic was, well, it works in loads of other sports. You know, why why wouldn't it work in football? Yeah, um, yeah the, the practical implementation of it has been clunky. And whilst there are good examples of where it does a good job, you know, those those good examples are where it was clear and obvious, like a player being two yards offside or a you know a, a, a contact not being made, therefore not a penalty. Well, that that's good use of it. 
Um, but yeah, like I say, so there's, you know, when those I think there's just groans across the country when those when the lines come out, you know, the invented yellow lines of just going it's like a child scribbled all over the screen. And you just think, what what is this I'm watching now? You know, it just completely all enjoyment out of it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, hopefully they'll they'll find a, you know, a sort of a happy, happy medium. But as as we as we mentioned a lot, you know, we, we don't really trust the people that run the game to make the to make the right decisions, unfortunately. So I won't hold up too much hope. Um but I think it is here to stay one way or another, um, unfortunately. So we'll have to find a way. We'll have to learn to love it somehow. <laughs> Jürgen's idea of a, of a, um, a, a thicker line to give a bit of a margin for doubt for the attacking team, which is the way it should be. You know, like you, football's an attacking sport, or for most managers, there is anyway. I won't name any examples of ones I'm not thinking of. Um, but like Jurgen Klopp's idea to to kind of like break the offside in passes to to make the the the, the line thicker for attacking teams to give them more of a a benefit of the doubt basically, um, and we don't want to be using we 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 already have clear and obvious we don't want to be using benefit of the doubt as well as a <laughs> as a buzzword for the uh, the PMGOL. Um, Tom, if if we can kind of like flick away from VAR, please, please, yeah. <laughs> uh, and. <laughs> And go on to um, back to live text. So I, I, I kind of have an idea of the things you'll do, but let's just say it's a Saturday morning, and there are six three o'clock kickoffs. Now that will seem like a distant memory, I'm sure. Yeah, that, that's the good old days. The, the good old days, which, which <laughs> I, I miss myself. You know, I mean, most of my time on the Saturday now is listening to uh, to Joanne shouting abuse at Bolton on the on, on my laptop. Um, so if Let's just say it's it's a normal Saturday from from February. You've got these games. How do you spend your time before you know your shift started before mm. before your live text stint? What what kind of research are you doing? Are you researching stats or? Yeah, so we're we're lucky that we get um. Everyone will be familiar with Opta, I should imagine, who are the kind of official stats people of the Premier League, well, most football uh, competitions now. So we get, um, it's called the Optum Monitor. So it's like, it looks a bit like the sort of match day view of Football Manager, if you can, everyone can picture that. Um, so you when, when the team news comes in, you'll have the two formation graphics side by side. Uh, and it basically updates live when the match is on. And you can click on any player at any time and it'll tell you absolutely hundreds of stats, how many touches they've had, how many passes, how many metres they've run, you know, all this sort of stuff. But um, before each match, they load all those up with loads of loads and loads of stats. So that's where I get most of my pre-match research done. Um, and we'll, we'll load in a few like links to other things on the website or whatever but to be honest it's not um the way they're staggered and there's there's not not really that much time before we start that um there's not a game on because you we get the team news a bit before everyone else as well so on embargo so you've got time to make your little team news graphics and things um so it's pretty they're pretty much on a Saturday and Sunday, you pretty much just straight into a match, really. Um, 
And then, especially at the moment, it's just non-stop Sundays, especially. Sundays like are busy day for football now. Twelve o'clock till <laughs> seven thirty kickoff. Yeah, it's crazy. But is that kind of? Do you prefer that, Tom? Do you prefer that kind of of whirlwind, or would you prefer to just like, space it out? I must admit, I you never want to complain when your job is getting paid to watch football, but it's getting a bit. It is a bit too much at the minute. I know why they've done it. It's not anyone's fault. But when you've got two games back-to-back on a Monday, then Champions League, then Europa League, sometimes a game on a Friday, then Saturday, <laughs> then five games on a Sunday. And then it does feel a bit... I'm sure if you've got a you know a nine-to-five job and you, you're probably enjoying watching every match, but it does. it is a bit over the top at the minute. It's like sometimes... It, you'll have a Monday off or whatever and you'll get like a push alert at four o'clock on a Monday and thinking, what's this? And it'll be like Brighton team news. It'll be like, come on. <laughs> <laughs> we, don't need a, we don't need a game at half five on a Monday, do we? But um, yeah, I can't wait for it to go back to more games on a Saturday and slightly fewer on uh, the rest of the time. But there's obviously a good reason for it and it's been great to have work, hasn't it? Yeah, I mean, it, we have turned into the Mitchell and Webb sketch of all the football all the time. Yeah, it's live. The football never stops. And when it, some of the things, you know, when they England suddenly plays three games in an international break, I was thinking, "Oh, come on, lads, we don't, we didn't need a friendly against the Republic of Ireland." With all the due respect in the world, it was that did feel a bit like it does feel a bit like they. Should, I think we could have done without the League Cup maybe this year, a few things like that, but. Yeah, the Papa John's trophy. <laughs> probably, could, probably could have given that a rest, couldn't we? But um, yeah, you'd, you'd fit in well as a regular on this, uh, on this <laughs> podcast, Tom. You've, you've pretty much summed up our last two months' output. Yeah. I think those two states. I think Paul would be standing and applauding you if he was uh, <laughs> if he was on. But um, yeah, I was I was thinking actually as well with uh, you know bl- blushing slightly as I say this because I'm a Man United fan for my sins. But with the result last night, mm. meaning another team in Europa, your, your Sundays might be getting even more crowded. <laughs> right. Games at 10 a.m. or something now just to fit everyone in. Yeah, why not overnight? Midday, yeah. Monday kickoffs or something. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I've, I've not really uh, steeled myself to look at the Christmas rota too much, but uh, I imagine there'll be. A game on every day for about thirty-five days or something. Feels that way. I think. You... I, I, feel, I feel sorry for um, you know for some of the managers. Really, it'll be like they'll do a match, do a post-match interview, and then it feels like about six hours later they're doing a preview. <laughs> press. It's like what have they got to say? Like they've just just played yesterday. It's like I do feel a bit, but you know. I think you, I think what you might find, Tom, is. Um... Uh, with Amazon having the the, the Boxing Day games, I, I I don't think as many of them as as, as staggered. I think it's yeah. a, a bit more of a a kind of a three o'clock crescendo, and you you pick your game, which is arguably yeah. the way it should be in the future. But that's a an, another thing we often discuss on this podcast. Um, yeah. If we move away from from live text a bit, then Tom, and consider yourself as a, as a journalist I mean you've already mentioned Neil Warnock who, who wouldn't be a favourite person of mine um, but who is who is probably the most famous person you've interviewed in, in sport and who is your favourite interview if you can uh, good question um, I don't know because obviously you do you do sort of ask questions of uh, all the big managers but it's 
tends to be in a press conference not really the same as a one-on-one interview which uh quite hard to get i did i did have a one-on-one with virgil van dyke last summer which was good and um, i went on liverpool's pre-season tour of america um which was uh was really good and i managed to have about 20 minutes with him in a hotel which was nice um so probably that one for the for one-on-one purposes. What what has actually been good with lockdown is um, Zoom has helped with that. Like you tend to get a lot better access now because I think players and managers and clubs even they seem you know it they don't mind doing ten minutes on Zoom because it's not as it feels like it's less less intrusive. Maybe they can do it from home or whatever, and they'll fit you in. Whereas before, if you're trying to get someone after training, or you know, there's always an excuse for people who are best have to pick the kids up or whatever. Or sometimes you've been left hanging around, and you've been promised 15 minutes with so and so at a certain time, and you're just waiting around. Um, so that's been good. I've done a few over Zoom where you can just. You know, just get a text saying you can do three o'clock or whatever, and then you just load it up. Um, but yeah, Van Dyke's probably the the biggest one I've done. He's he's pretty good. Uh, was was trying did he rate? Did he smell nice? Yeah, he did. Yeah, <laughs> an absolute gent, gent of a man. Um, yeah, very nice, very I'm, nice guy. I'm I'm told that Liverpool have a kind of big emphasis on um, you know like making sure that. Uh, behaviour with the media is uh, exemplary. Yeah. Which is the way it should be, you know, that it's it's really, we, we don't want people um, boycotting the BBC, do we can? Um, <laughs> the, the, some things are better, best forgotten. Um, <laughs> ju- just if, if we move off journalism for a bit, Tom, um, I, I think a lot of people watch the playoff final with, with, with Northampton um, yeah. this, this, this summer. Um how are you feeling about about Northampton at the moment? How do you think the season's going? It's a yeah, weird old year for us. So we came seventh in League Two, obviously won the offs and then sold us probably our six best players. <laughs> so uh, we've got a worse team now than we had in League Two and we've obviously gone up a division. So it's been a bit of a struggle. Um, I think we'll... We've, as I've said earlier, we tend to yo-yo between the two divisions a lot, and uh, it's not very often we do very well in League One. So I think we're all steeled for a bit of a dogfight, but I think we'll just stay up. But I don't think we'll do much better than that. Um, yeah, our style of play isn't to everyone's taste, and it's one of those things. When it works, it works. When it doesn't, you've kind of got no nowhere to go because you've got beat and you've had. 22% of the ball or whatever it's not it's not the best but when it works well it's great and it did work well at Wembley and in the semi-final as well but um, yeah it's a bit of a slog I I don't know I'm sure a lot of people because you can't go and I've not seen us play since March so it's hard to uh, I do feel I must admit I do feel a bit less connected than normal even though you can watch them on iFollow and stuff it's not, it doesn't feel the same so but Fans are getting back in now. My friend who I go with, he's going on the weekend for home game, so that's good. Um, but I've not got a season ticket or anything, as I said, so I don't know when I'll get to go next because at the minute there's no away fans anyway, is there, anywhere? So uh, I'll have to wait and see. 
Yeah, that's the um, the story up and down. Look, it's 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 tragic. I mean, I, I I'm lucky, um, as as you'll know, Tom uh, Merseyside has been quite heavily hit by COVID, mm. but um, due to the the rapid testing, um, we managed to get get everything down. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm lucky. I've been able to go. Uh, Evertonians are lucky. They'll be able to go on yeah. uh, on on the sun Saturday. So I I really hope you get back inside um, a game soon. Have you got any anything else you want to ask, Cam? Um, ooh, just trying to trying to think. I think we've probably covered uh, most things. Um, I, I guess the the only question we're going to ask earlier on, um, I think we sort of covered it anyway. In the sort of amount of games are on, I was, I was just going to you know ask you like, obviously a football fan has to sort of usually ends up juggling their life around. <laughs> matches whether mm-hmm. you know whether it's going to the, the ground obviously, or, or away trips which obviously requires you know more more time and, and and money but even even armchair fans you know still want to make sure they're able to see you know if certainly see their team um but i'm guessing you know from from your perspective obviously your shifts as you know as you, as you call them are obviously then dictated by when when games are on do you have a yeah. sort of do you have a social life like how do you manage all that in amongst yes yeah, uh, having to, to sort of follow the games in the evenings in particular and things like that does that does that become challenging it is yeah definitely and it's hard one of the, the hard things about what we do um and it's it gets harder as you get older we i've not got children but people who do have young children it's tough but at the same time, it's kind of a. There are benefits as well. So I, we tend to work in the week and to work uh, till midnight because obviously there's games on. Um, but it means you don't you not start until the afternoon. So you know we've always got the mornings free pretty much. Um, so I always think if I did have a you know normal job as you like it, I think well when do people go and get the shopping or go to the doctors or whatever or get the haircut you know these are things i always do at 10 o'clock on a morning and what brought the dog into town and get what you need so there's there's pros and cons it, it can be hard family wise and there's loads of things i've missed down the years weddings and things uh because i've been working but you can't really well i was going to say you can't complain we all do all the time always complain but you can't really work in sport and then complain about having to work at the weekends and evenings because that's when sport happens yeah yeah, yeah. No, that's a, yeah it's a very good point yeah fair enough i mean we're not it's it's a lot that we see for um you know i do still work most weekends but some places i remember when i was covering watford i used to sit next to a guy who worked for one of the sunday papers i can't remember which one it was might have been the telegraph and he's just told me once we were just talking and he said something like I've worked every Saturday since like 1988 or something. <laughs> and I was just like, I mean, that is insane. Yeah. <laughs> but that's what people do. And it's one of the things, uh, I mean, I wouldn't say I work in football really, but work closely with it. And it's, you know, when you're a kid and you think, oh, I'd love to be a, uh, you know, I'd love to be a footballer or work in football. And obviously I still would, but that you do, you get a bit of a, a sense that, there are downsides of it as well, no matter how good it is, because still, you know, the hours and the time. It's hard to even, if you're a player, you know, you you got your summers off, but that's it. And there's the older we get and you get more responsibilities and things, you think that must. And I've, it, it's one of the things that makes me look at players differently. So when I was young, 
younger and you might sign someone on loan and they'd be rubbish or whatever and you'd think, oh, this guy is useless. But now I think, well, he's probably, he's 18, he's come down, doesn't know anyone, he's living in a you know, flat in a town, he doesn't know anybody. Um, and I'll still slag him off, but I'll think, <laughs> I've got a bit of an understanding of it's probably not as good as you think sometimes. Just, just a couple of quick, more quick, quick, further quick questions from me, Tom. Um, number one, um, who is your favourite commentator and why is it Barry Davis? <laughs> I was just going to say, he knows who else. <laughs> it's definitely Barry Davis, uh, without a doubt. Um, probably, it's interesting with commentators because, I st- don't get me wrong, I think there's good commentators now, but I think, you know, when we were growing up, because there was only... There wasn't as much on, I suppose, and there was only two or three commentators at any one time. They were so famous, weren't they? Yep. Brian Moore, Barry Davis, John Watson. I'd, you know, I don't think anybody's, you know, growing up now thinking uh, Steve Wilson or Guy Mowbray or all these people. Steve McManaman. Steve McManaman. <laughs> Um, yeah, Barry Davis is my favourite, without a shadow of a doubt. Yeah, but I don't know if that's just our age. Um, some of you know so many good lines, and when you said before that you you notice something I've written, I quite often reference Barry, and people pick me up on it. It's just in, ingrained in your head, isn't it? Yeah, Barry Davis <laughs> is, is my favourite commentator. Not even, not even close. Uh, um, no, I've met him a few times, and what a guy! Uh, that was one of my highlights of meeting him, and, and spoke to him. I used to have a voicemail from him on my phone. <laughs> uh, which was brilliant, but then I, you know when you lose your phone, you change phone. I lost it. But it was basically him having a go at me for not ringing. I left him a message on his landline, and he uh, he rang me back, sort of saying, "Why didn't you ring my mobile?" <laughs> <laughs> I can't imagine Barry Davis getting cross. Uh, it's great, and I also I rang him once to talk about um, you know the hockey clip of where were the Germans? Yeah, uh, I did a piece about that game uh, well that moment basically the Olympics moment and I rang him at home and he was sort of saying uh, obviously a long time ago try and remember it and then he was then he was away for about 20 minutes great talking brilliantly and then he said uh, I can't remember who um, who got the assist or whatever and I was sort of saying well it doesn't matter I can find out and he was like no no hang on and then he just went off the line for about five minutes and he'd gone into his like files you know of like team sheets and stuff and he managed to find it from like 1988 and all his handwritten notes and <laughs> this is brilliant um yeah what, what a guy yeah um ladies and gentlemen barry davis the the, the only the only name i'd add to the the, the list of common iconic commentators is um is clive tilsley as well i think he's yeah. superb yeah certainly agreed. um when i watched the match back it was on amazon prime the, the liverpool wolves game you know, it felt like a fireside chat with um, <laughs> with Ivan Allian. I, I really enjoyed it compared to, um, let's just say, BT's commentators trying to outbanter each other. Yeah. Um, another another quick one, Tom. Um, do you see you do that, that journalism being being your thing? Do you fancy trying commentary one day, or is it not for you? I don't know. I've never I've never tried it. I've got a few colleagues who have from online who have done radio um i think it's a very different skill it's uh you know in the same in the same way that i don't think a radio commentator would necessarily be good at what i do it's it's very different um 
I wouldn't mind giving it a go at some point, but I don't think, I think I'm a better writer than a, a talker. I might not have to squat box for it, but I definitely fancy having a go at commentary. <laughs> I, 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 I think I'd be quite good at it, but um, my, my accent isn't exactly, it's, it's, um, it's not a friendly accent for radio. You'd get, you'd get the ready gig. I, I might do, and if, if anyone out there wants to give me a try, I'm, I'm more than capable of, uh, of of putting something together for you. Um, yeah. Any kind of advice for for anyone just just about to graduate, Tom? What what would you recommend they do to start off? Uh, I wish them all the luck in the world for a start. I, would, I don't envy them graduating now. I mean, I think I sometimes think we kind of missed the the golden era of doing it by a few years mate i'd love to have been around in the 70s and it's just you know go down the pub for most of the day uh ring brian clough at home do (laughs) (laughs) knock out a back page and then uh you know get off i'm sure there's more to it than that but um yeah i like i said before i think it's probably harder than ever to get a job um but there's so much more stuff you can do now like I always say this, you know, if you sometimes think of all the skills you need now, I do. I I don't think I would get my my job now if I applied for it. I can't do loads of stuff that some of the younger people we take on. I can't edit video very well. I'm I'm not on Instagram. I don't know a lot of these things that some of the, some, some people we take on, they can make like a, an entire package for football focus, you know, like a 10 minute film of like really nicely shot, can do all that like on their iPhone, and I'm like, yeah, I'm glad I got in when I did. Um, so it's probably harder than <laughs> ever, but at the same time, you can ha- you could have your own podcast now. You can do stuff on YouTube. So maybe there's, you know, we didn't have any of that outlet. So maybe it's harder to get a job, but it's easier to sort of get stuff seen, if that makes sense. Yeah. So probably my advice is do that if you're interested. Get in our day it was like trying to write for people's websites and stuff now you can just make your own i think that that's very true tom that the, the industry is a much changed place from when from when yeah. we graduated i mean it is 15 years ago now that we that we that we graduated but um like like journalism has changed so much since yeah, then it's totally different yeah like like, I, like like myself you did like you, you specialized in newspaper Mm. And if I had my time again, I would have um, joined Old Rollo in on in online. Um, yeah, it would probably where I would have done done most of my um, my work then. But what what you're saying is just for a bit of perspective. You know, like I'm a communications officer for a, a large Japanese video game company. Um, yeah, several of our alumni work for the BBC. Um, one of them does work for UEFA sometimes. Yeah, uh, one of them owns a driving school, um, right. which is slightly different to the, to the journalism. But you, you get my point. You know, like um, you can get you can get places with a journalism degree, but you, you don't know you could you could um, end up doing any any kind of content that you can put out there could get you your, your big break and, and good luck to you. Yeah, um, I, I, in many ways, I, I, I'm I'm happy with 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 where things have turned out for me. But you know, I, I would like to to do some some rugby league journalism, and one day maybe I'll get the chance. Maybe someone will listen to this podcast and give me think we, we need someone to turn up to um to this game. We'll we'll give this guy a try. Um, anything you want to plug, Tom? Why you here? Um, want to plug your band, perhaps? Well, I would do, but we haven't 
We've been shut down. We have only played one gig this year, so uh, yeah, that's a shambles. But um, <laughs> hopefully, we'll be back out soon. Although, again, I can't see it <laughs> too soon. Uh, no, just uh, keep following the BBC Sport website and uh, pay your license fee. <laughs> Tom, very on brand. <laughs> <laughs> Tom, what an absolute pleasure this has been. This has been an, an absolute barrel of fun. Um, some good memories. Like we will never forget the days of um, Warren Wilson, who used to be the editor of the Express and Star at Wolverhampton, before moving to the Shropshire, um, the Shropshire Star, before making a glorious return to um, to the Express and Star in Wolverhampton um, all those years ago. Yeah, um, I think it's catch up. Yeah, Tom, it, it's been super. It's it, it's been a long time since we've had a, had a chat like this. It's um, mm. a lot of fun. Uh, thank you very much for your time, um, and. For all our listeners, thank you very much for, for joining us for this special. We'll be back on um, on Monday when we'll probably talk about VAR. We'll probably talk about five subs, you know, the usual. Um, if you've not checked out our episode from earlier this week, we have uh, some very interesting discussion about how um, the, the reaction to the, the BLM knee problems at, at Millwall in the weekend. And, um, of course, Paul led an interesting discussion on how Brexit affects... Um, youth team development and new laws that were, were were passed last week. Tom, absolute pleasure. Thank you very much for joining us. Can thank you for your input as well. Thanks, guys. And we'll catch you all thank after you. a while.